Hello and welcome to episode number 40 of Making Media Now, the Filmmakers Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. Joining me on this episode is director Sonia Kennebec and producer Inez Hoffman-Kana. Sonia and Inez will be speaking with me about their new film, Enemies of the State. Enemies of the State is a documentary thriller that investigates the strange case of Matt DeHart, an alleged hacker and whistleblower, and his former Cold War spy parents, who believe they're at the center of a government conspiracy and are ready to do anything to save their son from prison. But what about their son? Was hacker Matt DeHart a whistleblower, a spy, or a child pornographer? Or was he some combination of all three? Watching this provocative documentary, your opinion may shift more than once, as director Kennebec pursues both the elusive nature of truth and the seductive qualities of conspiracy theories. Here's the trailer. I came across a federal court decision, and I'm whipping through this, and it's like anonymous torture, U.S. servicemen. I didn't quite realize at that point how bizarre the story would really be. My son was a pioneer in this activist group, Anonymous. He had been running this secret server, and someone had dropped off a file. That's the day that everything changed. He's got some crazy information that they did not want out there. And I thought, we're dead. We decided to fight this together. Where can you go to protect yourself from the United States of America? Every step of the story is from some secret shadowy world. Mexico, Russia, Canada. We were surveilled the entire time. Is this just people being paranoid? Or is the system really out to get them? He could talk himself into any situation, good or bad. He can also talk himself out of any situation. He wants to portray himself as this whistleblower to make him the victim. They haven't looked at both sides of the story. He's detained at the border. That's a bombshell. Did they create a conspiracy rather than act in the best interest of their child? They don't have a single bit of evidence. Then we found the second victim. Truth does not matter. Something's fishy. This is an overreact. When I saw what was on the drives, it all made sense. Enemies of the State is now available on Video On Demand. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and consider leaving a review. And now on to my conversation with Sonia Kennebec and Inez Hoffman-Kana. Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, Sonia Kennebec and Inez Hoffman-Kana. Great to speak with you both today. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Inez, you're speaking to us from Oakland, California. Sonia, where are you speaking to us from? In Brooklyn, New York. Sonia is the director and Inez is the producer of a new film called Enemies of the State. And when I was trying to figure out, you know, what genre Enemies of the State would fit in, uh, it didn't fit 
uh, nice and neatly in any one box. It, of course, is it's a documentary, but it's it's kind of a true crime drama in the fact that there there are actors who are used in certain instances to portray real people. There's also a an element of espionage. Uh, so, Sonia, if you were to sort of, which I'm sure you've had to do, you know, give the uh, the the quick and easy logline on the film and uh, fit it into a genre, what would you do? I really like that you start out by saying that it's not easy. <laughs> Because it's it certainly is is not this is a um, it's a challenging film, and yeah the the logline is um, you know, an American family becomes entangled in the web of secrets and lies when the U.S. government comes after their son and they say he was tortured and framed by the FBI. So um, that is, you know, a part of the story. It doesn't capture the entire story. And the entire story really is, is a journey of an investigation into the truth of a very complex case. So Matt DeHart is an alleged hacker and whistleblower and his former Cold War spy parents, the, or the government believes that their son is at the center of a conspiracy And the parents believe there's a conspiracy against the son. And our story begins uh, way back in 2008, and the film brings us up to 2019. When did and how did the two of you become aware of the story and then begin to think of it in terms of uh, a project that you wanted to turn into a film? So um, Ines and I, we were actually both in production of our previous film, um, also documentary um, titled National Bird about the U.S. drone war. And um, we were, you know, documenting the stories of, of drone whistleblowers. And that's when um, one of our sources was um, telling me the first time about the Matt DeHart case. And what I first heard was that Matt DeHart actually had worked with military drones and that he could, you know, be interesting to us. And I remember I started looking into the case and some court documents and Enos did the same. And um yeah, and we, we we discussed it, and but saw at the same time that it was a very complex story just from the very beginning. Kind of, you know, you could see that it would be a research rabbit hole, and um, that you can't just you know fit it into a, a film about the drone war. So yeah, it's, you know, it, it was clear and I, I'm sure Ines will jump in in a second because I, I back then I already was considering taking it, uh, it on. Um, but Ines fortunately convinced me otherwise. <laughs> We were, we were not quite done with the uh, with National Bird, and that was our priority. Um, and while this seemed uh, definitely interesting from the beginning, um, at that time, um, uh, the, the family was still in Canada, I believe. So um, it looked really, really interesting for sure. Um, but we had to put it aside. But then once we were done uh, with the rollout of National Bird, and that was in safe harbor, uh, yeah, Sonia came back to it. And then, um, you know, we started out from um, this point that, 
you see in the film where we listen to the family. We always start with um, trying to get access. And to be honest, if the family hadn't been um, so cooperative and from the beginning um, had told Sonia that, yes, yes, you can make a film about the story, right? Then we probably wouldn't have made, wouldn't have made the film. But as you can see in the film, they are very, very much convinced of um, their son's innocence and they were very much into um, making this project with us. So that was our starting point, their consent and their interest. So just to provide context for our listeners, so so Matt DeHart had served in the Indiana Air National Guard, uh, and he had been part of a unit that analyzed the drone footage. Um, and he was also active, or at least he says he was active in the hacker community, uh, 4chan and Anonymous. At a certain point in his his uh, life in the, the dark web, uh, he became uh, uh, in possession of classified files on his server. Do I have that correct? So he says, yes. Yeah, so he says. This all leads to a January 2010 law enforcement raid on his home um, in Indiana. Now, both of his parents also were formerly uh, former military, uh, both linguists, uh, and they uh, they were no they were no strangers to sort of the inner workings of of intelligence. January 2010 comes along. This raid takes place, and. The raid, however, is not predicated upon thinking um, that he is in possession of classified information, correct? Right. That is yeah. not what's so in the search warrant. Get some warrant. light on that, please. <laughs> yeah, the, the search warrant is um, and the investigation um, that led to uh, the raid was about child pornography. And so, um, you know, those were, um, this was the starting point, but his family, um, you know, told um, us and other reporters, as it turns out, that they think that he was framed and the actual investigation was for espionage and that the government um, agencies really just wanted to get a hold of his computers. And that is really, um, yeah, the starting point of the story that then goes, you know, really in in a lot of different directions. Because, yes, we did start with the family, but then we investigated in all directions, which the family also agreed to. Um, you know, Ines and I are both investigative journalists. And when we take on a film like this, we make clear from the beginning that we are going to do our independent research. We're going to research in all directions. Entirely independently, and they agreed to it, and that's the only reason we actually took on this case. And when we started going on this journey, that turned out to be a lot more complex than we had anticipated. Um, we we found people who would sit down in front of our cameras and provided an entirely alternative story. So um, who had, you know, conflicting testimonies, um, partly entirely contradictory testimonies. And that's what makes, you know, this, this film and this story so intriguing, but also complicated and makes it more than about just one individual case. And I think this is a really good example of this old journalistic saying, trust, but verify, right? So we trusted the people we were talking to, sure. but we 
realized very quickly you cannot take anybody at face value and you have to dig and then the verification process turned out to be incredibly difficult because so many government agencies are involved and they just wouldn't talk <laughs> they just would not be transparent they would not be helpful they would shut us down uh, they would deny interview request after interview request um, and it was very difficult uh, to verify some of this information you know uh, does for each of you does your background as investigative journalists when when avenues start getting shut down does that make you more dogged in your determination to to get some answers because is in, in other words is that a tell if if some entity is saying don't ask anybody about this uh, of course you're going to say oh we're definitely asking about that <laughs> I think it spurns us on, but at the same time, and that's what this film is, you know, also about, you constantly have to check on yourself and not to overinterpret what certain um, reactions could mean. You know, of course you discuss it. Of course, you know, it is irritating when you, you know, talk to, um, you know, people who were somehow involved in the case and all of a sudden they hear the name Matt the Hart and they hang up the phone on you or um, interviews that were initially scheduled were then canceled, like a National Guard interview that we we had scheduled. So, of course, it does, you know, carry meaning. But at the same time, you have to be extremely cautious not to sort of fill this gap of not knowing all these secrets with, um, you know, speculation. And and I think that's what this film, you know, on a deeper level um, is about, you know, for us. It's, it's not just about one individual case. Um, but it's about, you know, how to find the truth, you know, in, in, in a world of conspiracy theories and not knowing and secrets and amb- ambiguity and um, yeah. And, and then kind of, you know, probing your own beliefs and what you want to believe and expectations. So it has a lot of deep layers. And this is actually the only reason why this actually worked for um, Matt, the heart and the family too, right? It works for them because we are very accepting of um, these, um, yeah, these, uh, let's say, uh, the, the framing, right? We, we, are, we, are, we believe, or a lot of us believe that, yes, the government can and has framed people. The FBI has done that in the past. This can be true, right? So, um, and many other things that Matt claims have happened. Anonymous is anonymous. You can say whether you're a member of anonymous, right? There's many, many, uh, many, (laughs) and I say many, I mean many uh, 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 details in the story that you just cannot verify. And sometimes it felt like um, that was very deliberate on on, on Matt's part too, you know, to pick just exactly that. There's a, there's, there's an intoxicating ambiguity to the story. And, you know, there's, there's something in the brain that wants to separate out stories into good guys, bad guys, truth teller, and, you know, criminal. Uh, But you're not all that far into this film when you start to realize there's more behind almost everything that everybody's saying and everything mm-hmm. that's happening. And I don't I don't mean to be cagey with how the plot develops, but at the same by the same token, I don't want to deprive viewers uh, from experiencing how it unfolds on its own. I I'm, I am curious, however, about, say, uh, your production timeline, um, how far along um, in this um, um, ordeal uh, had the DeHarts been? before you all um, were on the scene? 
So, um, yeah, we heard about uh, their story when, as Ina said, um, they were still in Canada. Um, but then we had to, you know, pause the research because we we're still finishing up um, our other film. And then we really started um, filming in 2017. And at that point, and I, I, I wonder, you know, how much I should disclose, you know, to the view, uh, listener to um you know, where Matt DeHart was at this point, but mm -hmm. his, his story had come to a conclusion. Um, it's, it's, it still was sort of in, in a space of ambiguity because a lot of journalists worldwide had covered this case. And in a way, this film is also a little bit of a, of a media story because um, as you see in, in a separate part of the film, as his story got worldwide coverage and was repeated, it also changed. And um, and almost like a game of, of telephone where some of the later uh, you know, articles about his case um, sounded quite different than the first ones. And and so um, that was you know, the starting point that a, a, a story, a media coverage had manifested. And we were, you know, really just poking and going deeper than the story presents itself um, on the Internet. Yeah. And that I, I found that in the in the film that um, your treatment of of the media treatment of the story um, really touched upon how it's so easy how the framing of the story is so important, you know, journalistically or, or in the media. You know, one person's whistleblower is, an, is, is, is a patriot and a hero and another person's whistleblower is a traitor. And, and depending, and it feels like a, depending on where your pre-existing sympathies lie, you're going to decide one way or the other. That all said, the introduction of the, this, you know, heinous allegation of child uh, being a uh, sexual predator where children are involved, that brings in another whole dynamic. How did you, how do you arrive at kind of the journalistic remove where being aware of that, you don't allow that to sort of color um, how credible you find or don't find somebody like Matt? Should I start, Ines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, this this case has a lot of, um, you know, sensitive parts right. and, um, and that's also the reason why, you know, in particular the, the child pornography, why there is, you know, secrecy in his case that actually is absolutely legitimate. Um, you, you know, in, in a child pornography case, you have to protect the victims and the victims' families. And so, um, that is one part of the story. And then there's, of course, um, which, you know, audiences will find out a, a, a separate case where the FBI was investigating um, Matt DeHart also for national security purposes. And um, and he he was mistreated um, as far as we could verify in, in a jail as well. So there are, um, you know, so many different aspects. And what was important to us was to, uh, you know, be thoughtful and respectful in investigating in, in all directions and, um, and sensitive um, 
and yeah, and, and, and constantly probe ourselves. And it was, you know, it was very challenging because of these allegations, you know, to us as a, as a filmmaking team, um, because we're, we're just human beings too. Right. So, um, you know, going into it and like understanding, you know, how many different parties there are and how impacted everyone is. And, um, and that was, you know, in, in, in this film, ultimately what was important to us is to show this case in all its complexity and not to try to simplify the narrative or make it just black and white or cut out parts that might not just, you know, fit this like neat narrative, but, you know, to show that some cases need a complex treatment. And that we always say that that multiple things can be true. He can have done certain things and things could have been done to him. Right. So that 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 was always like what we had in our mind that that was starting to emerge this picture of he, you can be both a victim and you can also be a predator, too. Right. Um, yes. And then one other thing that we also discussed in the beginning was um, we were not naive about like um, the dark web and what people do in the dark web and um, the, the cesspool that can be. Um, uh, Matt was um, a guilt master, I think. That may be the right uh, term uh, on his World of Warcraft uh, platform sure. that he yeah. played. Um, yeah. And these platforms give uh, people, uh, these are huge platforms to groom people, to find people any age. You can be right. anyone you want on these platforms, right? So this was something that was happening, right? So again, that made us, um, you know, think, yeah, this could be true. He had, he certainly had the access to, to um, children or teenagers or other adults too, right? So, um, so yeah, so this was not, um, this came not out of nowhere either. Just like the FBI allegations didn't come out of nowhere. We had, we know, we, we knew other cases where they had said people were in possession of child pornography and that was planted, right? So, uh, yeah, so again, uh, certain things can be true at the same time. Yeah. When I was watching the film, you know, I was thinking party A could be lying and party B is telling the truth or maybe maybe switch them up or maybe they're both lying, but they're only telling the self-serving lies. <laughs> and, you know, it's in in, 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 in in that regard, it makes it, as I said, a much more engaging viewing experience because it's it's not all easy answers. These are very, very serious subjects and the and the film treats them as such one element of the film that I found to be really insightful uh, was when you went back and and talked about uh, what Matt DeHart was like in high school and in how his friends, his friends described him in high school. Um, Sonia, could you say a little bit about that and why you felt that including that that peek into his um, uh, formative years was important? Yeah, it was, you know, the, the, this whole film is centered on on Matt DeHart and, you know, the mystery he presents. And, you know, when people watch it, um, you know, they, they will see this is this is a very dramatic story and it, it is a true story. And you almost constantly have to remind yourself of it because it has so many, you know, spy story elements that are just like naturally part of it. You know, there are these USB sticks um, with apparently, you know, secret information that people are trying to get to, um, you know, Matt DeHart's father who worked for the NSA, you know, drives him, um, you know, for, well, first Matt, um, you know, goes to Mexico and, and we, and, you know, and he says he was, you know, 
getting these USB sticks to a safe place. And then his father drives him to the Russian embassy to try and defect. And, um, and, and all of these things, you know, we, we could verify, you know, that, that happened at least part of it, you know, that he went to Mexico, that he was um, driven to, to the Russian embassy. And then within these stories, there are still ambiguities and secrets, secrets. Um, but in, in order to, for us to figure out what we, you know, could believe of these, you know, pretty crazy twists and turns of the story. We also really wanted to understand who the different people are, in particular Matt DeHart. And so um, one of the things that was important to us was, was to go back and not just talk to his parents, but talk to people who knew him um, from before all of it happened. And they kind of slowly, you know, put together this, this, this puzzle with the different pieces and what turns out to be, you know, I think quite a revealing piece, at least for people to interpret some of the the actions of Matt is his time in high school and and the way that um, one of his you know high school schoolmates was describing him as such a complex character right. that he was you know he had you know a a you know a club and he was you know for on the one hand trying to be you know an information freedom you know, activist, but at the same time that he loved guns and, and he did this whole, you know, spiel when he was running for student council president, where he actually almost, you know, like a theater play, he was, he he was creating, you know, a, a, you know, a staging, you know, a play and all of that, um, you know, is just another puzzle piece in trying to understand this complex person. Yeah, it did. It it revealed a certain um, uh, grandiosity in in his kind of perception of himself, um, and 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 that can be quite volatile in the sense that you know pointed in one direction, uh, it's very healthy ambition, I guess. Pointed in another direction, it could be okay. Here's someone who's willing to shape reality so long as he's in the eye of the storm, mm-hmm. and you know, and benefiting from that, and and you know, and I, you're not drawing any conclusions from that, but as you said, you're uh, presenting that insight. It reminded me. Have they, either of you ever seen the film? It's probably about 25, 30 years old now, by John Schlesinger called Falcon and the Snowman with Sean Penn and Timothy Hutton. It's based on a true story of uh, these. Tim Hutton's dad uh, is a military contractor in Orange County. He's got a bad relationship with his dad and, you know, this father-son issues in there. But um, they end up going to Mexico. They think they get a piece of information that the Russians are going to be interested in. It's, it's very, very well done. I started re-watching a lot of different films <laughs> during the production. Sure, yeah. You know, one, of course, was the original um, Enemy of the State, um, in the singular, yeah. um, which which also you know, deals with surveillance and, that, and, and paranoia. Yes, with Will Smith. Oh, okay. That oh, with Gene Hackman. Yeah, sure. yeah, okay. exactly. Um, but then I also went into you know some documentaries that yeah. deal with layers of what is truth and what's you know what's a lie, which is f or fake, um, the thin blue line, right. um, imposter. You know, there, I think there are a lot of um, films that that deal with um, you know conflicting um, you know testimonies. You know, the way thin the thin blue line you know deals with how people 
people remember instances and 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 um, you know and and sort of subjective memory versus objective truth. Absolutely. And speaking of Thin Blue Line, uh, the Thin Blue Line director, Errol Morris, is an executive producer on your film. Uh, Tell me, tell our listeners uh, how he came to be involved. We had actually worked with um, Errol Morris as an executive producer um, in our previous film, National Bird, um, Vendors and Errol Morris. And when, um, you know, we were pretty deep into production um, already with Enemies of the State. And that's where, you know, we were dealing with a lot of these you know, contradictory testimonies. And we, I mean, within, you know, between Ines and me and, and the rest of our creative team, we were constantly discussing how should we interpret certain interviews and evidence that we could find documents and, and um, yeah, you know, what people knew and what they were telling us and and you know it, it was a constant struggle and it did um remind us of his work within the line mm-hmm. and so um there's certainly that connection you know not just um in style but for me it's more in the themes it discusses and the way we you know we were trying to find the truth of the story um you know as journalists and filmmakers and we are happy. Oh, sorry. We are happy to report that uh, you know Errol really likes this film a lot. You know, it's really up his alley. So, and he just really, really uh, likes this film. So, yeah, and it happy. reminded me of a couple of. Uh, it reminded me of both his film in a weird way, uh, both his Thin Blue Line, but also his film on Robert McNamara and his film uh, on Rumsfeld. In the sense that one of the great things about his films is they're they're pretty judgment free. And and oftentimes when he is uh, profiling uh, individuals about whom people have already arrived at a judgment. Right. So I always feel like the approach that he takes is um, if a viewer is going to come to a conclusion about the protagonist of the film, I'm going to let the protagonist get them there or take them there. And that's that's sort of his genius in in the aspects of a, you know, uh, of the people that he interviews and the way he brings them out. Um, one other thing that's so striking about the film are, are so many of the uh, decisions that you made around production. I mean, the, the, the film is really so artfully made uh, in terms of um, it's the cinematography, the score and of, in a very um, ingenious use of recreation where you you have actors playing some of the, uh, the, the the family members or the three primary family members, uh, Matt and his parents. Um, and yet you have actual audio transcripts that is synced with the actor's movements. How did you come to that decision? And did you ever have any concerns about, is this going to look too, you know, uh, too much like trickery? So the actual audio, uh, that is such an important document because that is when we hear Matt DeHart actually telling his own story. And I think it's important that he is the one who tells that story. And, um, you know, it, it, it is a red line throughout the film. And so we had to find a way to include it um, while also having images because this is not a podcast, you know, this is, this is a, a movie, a film. And so um, we came up with this lip syncing idea because it also um, 
to me, it has that element of staging and, and that, you know, and that's one of the layers that, um, you know, when you watch the film possibly a second time that you can really pay attention to the, the cinematography and um, our director of photography, Torsten Lapp is, um, he, he's extraordinary and he finds in, you know, documentary situations, you know, really meaningful images and in the recreations as well, there is a lot of meaning and thought in each of the images, the way they are framed, their references to other films. And um, yeah, and with the lip syncing, I, I really have to say that had this, this was complicated, you know, especially <laughs> because we had to, you know, sh sh shoot the recreations in a quite a short period of time. So um the, the I mean, reason the, the is thinking <laughs> is ingenious. It's I, it, I was a lot of it very is closely. Due, <laughs> a lot of it is due to our amazing editor, Maxine Goedeke. Um, I, I really, you know, she she has the credit. Uh, she's a magician <laughs> in, yes. in doing that. And then, um, you know, on another um layer, you know, and it's, 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 it makes, you know, I, I think both of us, you know, to me very happy that you're, you know, mentioning, you know, uh, our team and the craft of the music. Um, Inza Rudolph is our composer and she, I think, you know, when you go back and see the scope of music that she created is so wide in this film, you know, it, her, her, her sounds are, her compositions, the score is very sound based. So she actually builds and modifies her own instruments. Oh, wow. um, but then, um, because it, it, this, this story, you know, kind of required, um, you know, more music, I felt, and she created, you know, classical tracks and, and then, you know, kind of this rock music as well, which is in the high school scenes. And it is, it, you know, the, the, the way the music is selected and what is, you know, kind of referencing actually has, you know, a, a deeper layer as well. You know, it's like um, what it kind of re reminded us of or what, you know, other songs it's referring to. So there is like it. I do encourage people if you, they've seen it the first time. And I think the first time is really a little bit shocking mm -hmm. um, to actually go into it and watch the film a second time because they will discover the layers of it. And, and, and also um, it's, it's very fast. It's very challenging. And then when you see it a second time, you might, you know, yeah, kind of see more of the dynamics between the different people and characters in the mm -hmm. film. And again, without, uh, without giving uh, too much away, uh, there is um, a revelation that is shared toward the latter part of the film that was solely the byproduct of the uh, research and the digging that you all have done. I'm wondering if in that particular instance and in your in your careers as investigative journalists, do you ever feel like you're stumbling upon a truth that makes you more anxious and nervous than gleeful about having found it? Like, in other words, do you ever get overwhelmed by the possible implications of um, you know, who might be put off by a truth that you come upon? Or maybe I've seen all the president's men too many times. No, this is a really good question because um, it it's difficult when you realize you had a certain picture in mind and you're already having doubts. And then in a way it's um, good for a documentarian to find some sort of like 
solution or like get weighed one way or the other a little bit more but it's also uncomfortable because you're just changing everything has to change about people that you thought you had an understanding what their story is it's it's difficult it's really really difficult it's a little bit easier with government institutions to be honest you know (laughs) if we had found out you know it's it's it would have been easier if um you know it would have been maybe the original premise right at least for me, I don't want to speak for Sonia, but yes, it's that this is difficult when you come and you find out in your research, something that is new and it shifts things this dramatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think it's really important to note, and that's why, you know, that's the reason we structured the film in a certain way that it, it is taking people on the journey of our own investigation and the revelations we got to, um, they, they took a lot of time and research. You know, we filed our own court motions um, with the support of the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. Um, you know, we did public records requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, all these things, these, you know, tools of investigative journalists that they take a lot of time. And um, by that time, um, we were pretty far advanced in, in our production. So um, when the audiences kind of, you know, go on this journey with us, um, yeah, we hope they, you know, get a sense of what we were going through as a film team as well. Um, it, it is not easy. So, you know, real stories, you know, we, we have our, um, yeah, you know, we, we, we want to always be respectful to everyone who's in front of the camera. Um, but it gets a lot more complicated if their testimonies and if their perspectives of the people are so contradictory, you know, kind of like, how do you resolve that? And, and that was, you know, kind of constantly a, a challenge during the production of the film. And I, I'm really glad what you said earlier about that you felt that there was, um, you know, when you watch this film that, um, you know, or you compared at least to, to Aaron Morris, who, you know, who is not judgmental. And I, I do strive to be the same way where, um, I don't want to put my own narrative or speculations in it, but really represent and present to the audience the evidence that we could find um, and and for them, you know, to to really come to their own conclusions. And if there's ambiguity and if there's still secrets, then people have to, you know, process it. You know, I'm not going to just like spoon feed sort of my narrative to people, quite the opposite. Right. There's there's several instances where um, various people, even if they hold absolutely opposite positions relative to to Matt and what may or may not have taken place. But you you get the sense that they're all coming from a place of integrity um, and 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 a real commitment to what they see as their mission. I'm curious for each of you, what led you to make the types of films that you make what uh, formative experiences either as as people or perhaps it was um uh, you know events that you were exposed to either creatively or journalistically um i'm always interested in in how people find themselves on the path that they're on and why certain ideas take hold and won't let go you know, so you want to start because you have such yeah. a strong connection. To- yeah, I, I, I always say, like, I think, I think, and obviously this is my own interpretation of my own, uh, you know, 
way in the world, but I really feel like it has a lot to do with my upbringing in East Germany. I grew up in East Germany behind what uh, you Americans call the Iron Curtain. Um, and I'm just so perplexed that in my life, I've made this uh, journey to the United States. I came here when I was 19. I've been here for a long, lot longer than I lived in Germany. Um, and I love this country, but I've also seen how what's wrong with this country it's a lot easier sometimes to see it as an outsider and i see so many parallels but to the nth degree right this idea of um the state surveilling its citizens because it doesn't trust its citizens right this is very familiar to me except for in east germany i knew that that was happening mm -hmm. and here and people knew it was happening and here people think that is not happening <laughs> but it is happening and there's many many overreaches that i've seen and this is regardless of administration that is regardless of whether this is that kind of president it's completely it's an american thing and i really feel like um i these these stories and again please remember that enemies of the state started out a little bit differently and we really thought it was much more pure whistleblower type story but national build especially in our new film united states versus reality winner which is about the reality winner case who is a you know real bona fide whistleblower yes. these stories um for me personally, it's just really important to tell them, uh, you know, not that I'm naive, that I can really shake up people in this country from their slumber, but uh, it's at least a try to say this is happening under your nose and you must be aware of this. You can't be, you know, you know, just ignoring this. This is very, very, very important. And what you have criticized about the Eastern Bloc, <laughs> it's happening here and you don't even see it. And this is, you know, painful in a way uh, because I, I've been there and I can't believe what's happening in this country, to be honest. And Sonia? Yeah, um, you know, I, I grew up in, in Germany as, as well, but in West Germany. And I came here, um, you know, on a scholarship to, to, to study in Washington, D.C. just um, a couple of weeks before 9-11. And that for me was, um, you know, kind of, a, you know, like for, for many um, you know, people, of course, in this country, but it was... It was such a um, you know distressing experience, and I had four friends who survived the World Trade Center. I was interning with NBC News at that time, so I was at the Pentagon the day after. And so, um, yeah, this this whole experience was just extremely close. And so um, after that, I I actually pursued a, a master's degree in international affairs, um, and I stayed in in the states in Washington D.C. and and so I, I really come sort of from, from the content, you know, I'm very interested in international politics and specifically security policy and the secrets surrounding it and also, you know, government misconduct. Um, but then on the other side, I'm also, I, and for some reason, I'm not just attracted to, um, you know, stories that involve secrecy, but also the ones that are complex, you know, that are not black and white. Um, and, and, you know, I think you can see that throughout my work from the drone program to I, before that I did a film about legal prostitution and I, I just, yeah, I like investigations that are, that are complex and that don't fit into this sort of simple, you know, Hollywood um, narrative, because I do think it represents more of our like true life and human behavior. Yeah. What's interesting is that the need for uh, eliminating ambiguity, the need for looking at the world in, you know, through a black and white prism, black or white, white prism, that is actually what feeds conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. 
Because if, if, if your mindset is, no, it's got to be one side right, one side wrong, one side good, one side bad, you are more prone to buy into a theory, uh, uh, you know, uh, packed with specious evidence around why the side you're not for is bad. And so long as, you know, you basically you've already arrived at your verdict and then you backfill the evidence. Yeah, no, it's, I'm so glad you're mentioning it because I'm actually I'm reading too, you know, kind of what people, you know, say or how they react to this film. And Enos um, and I, we've both each, you know, done a Q&A and, and um, a live Q&A and interacted with an audience. And it's, it's, it's very interesting how people react to the ambiguities in the story. And, you know, and, and also like reading online, you know, some people are very uncomfortable comfortable with it and it feels like there's such a lack of conclusion and they like they, they just like so much want us to present a very clear-cut you know little like ribbon at the end and this is what it is and and then you know I and I hope more people understand what this film actually is saying and is doing you know this this is the ambiguity is what is still part, you know, of the secrecy of the story, what we could find that, you know, people don't have to be either a hero or a villain. Sometimes they are multiple things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it is, you know, like that's what, that's the reality. That's the truth of the story that was presented to us and it might not be finished and maybe someone else takes it, you know, and, and continues investigating, but it, to us and to me, this, this does, you know, say a lot about, you know, what the story is, but also what we want um, a story or any story to be. And, and yeah, and the, you know, being more comfortable with ambiguity, I think, and critical thinking, you know, probing and changing your opinions. I think all of that is, is, is very important. And I hope that the film teaches people a little bit of that. So we've been in the film that we're talking about, just as a reminder to our listeners is called enemies of the state. Uh, tell us where and how our listeners can find the film. Video on demand, <laughs> any any platform that okay, you can great. think of, iTunes, Amazon, Apple, Vudu, Google Play. So please find it and uh, share with friends and family. Absolutely. Yeah, this is an independent film. This is a real independent production. Um, our distributors, IFC Films, but we, um, you know, we are independent journalists and filmmakers, and so we do rely on on word of mouth. And so far, it's 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 going pretty well. It does seem that this film is really moving people. Well, I've been speaking with Sonia Kennebec, who is the director of Enemies of the State, and Inez Hoffman-Kana, who is the producer. Thank you both so much for your time. Uh, this is a uh, just such a well-made film, so compelling and so involving. And um, I recommend strongly that our listeners go check it out and um, come to your own conclusions or lack thereof. Thank you Thank again you. For, to both of you. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks for having us. 